In Matthew 27 and verse uh, 45, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for another privilege to preach your Word. And our Father, I realize that without your touch tonight that I can do nothing. And, oh God, I do pray that you would anoint me with that uh, fresh oil, that power of God. Lord, give me special wisdom. And I pray I could be a vessel that you could use tonight. I pray if there's any sin in my life that you'd make it known to me that I could turn from it. And our Father, I just ask, O God, that you'd move in a very special way in hearts and lives tonight. May we be strengthened and helped by the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, uh, I would like to begin tonight just a word about the uh, Oklahoma City situation. Certainly a great tragedy. The last I heard, about 130 dead that's been accounted for and numbers of others missing. And uh, in the interviews that I've heard and all, uh, uh, one of the questions that's been asked is why? Why such a senseless tragedy? Even, uh, of course, there's been different explanations. I don't know where anyone really knows the why of it or uh, what motivated those that did it to do it. Some say it was because of the Waco situation and retaliation for that. Uh, but uh, you would think if, if they were trying to make a point that they would have tried to have done it in another way, killing all those innocent people, and especially uh, the, the babies, uh, would not, uh, I think, uh, get any following at all. It would turn people against them. But that question has been asked, and it's a question that I've addressed before, but I want to use tonight. Uh, on this question of why, uh, why does things happen? Why do tragedies happen uh, in our world and in our life? Uh, why are homes uh, broken up and fall apart? Uh, I've, I've had that happen over and over and, and without uh, sometimes understanding what did I do wrong? Uh, is it my fault? Why is this happening to my family? Uh, why is my health gone? Uh, and, uh, of course, some of these uh, TV preachers, you know, they'd blame the sick person and, and uh, say that uh, it's your fault, and it may be in some cases. But uh, uh, those are questions that come into our mind. Uh, uh, why cancer? Why did I, my loved one get cancer? Uh, and that's a question that when my mother died with cancer uh, that I certainly did not understand. And uh, then when my sister died, uh, just about a year ago, a little over now, and all these questions, why does death come? Uh, why do babies die? Why is a mother taken away uh, from a, a five-year-old boy? 
as, uh, as I had this funeral uh, just about a week ago, now a little over a week ago. And uh, of course, uh, I kind of grew up, and probably you did, and I've heard preachers uh, preach and advise people that you should never question the Lord, that you should never ask God why. And I began to search the scriptures along that line to see uh, if that was so. You know, a lot of the problem, and a lot of the problem what people believe is, is, uh, can be laid at the feet of preachers, uh, really. And uh, I began to search the Word to find out if that was so, and I found out it wasn't so. And if it's wrong to ask why, then Jesus was wrong here because on the cross He said, My God, my God, why hast thy forsaken me? Was Jesus wrong in questioning the Father? I think not. And uh, so uh, we'd like to examine this tonight and, and uh, see what we can learn from it. And uh, the tragedy there in Oklahoma, just one of many, many tragedies of life. And the question arises, why do people act the way they do? Why do we live in a world of sin? And why can't people do right? Well, the answer is obvious. The reason that people sin is because they're sinners. And someone gave a simple definition of a sinner. is somebody that can't stop sinning. That's all sinners can do. And yet we're surprised about it. And we wonder why. Why is it that people turn out the way they do? Why is it that you try to raise a kid up uh, and uh, you want them to go right and try to get them to go right and to go wrong? Well, certainly the Bible teaches to train up a child in the way he should go. But if you don't get them saved, they're going to go wrong sooner or later because they got a sinful heart. And, uh, and that's the problem. That's the basic uh, problem uh, is, is sin. I remember hearing Mike Hodge, he was talking about... Uh, uh, that uh, they were commissioned in a study, this many years ago, uh, to wonder uh, or to find out what made people alcoholics. And he said, why? Uh, he said, if you've got to have many thousands of dollars that they were spending uh, for this study and this panel to study why people or what made people alcoholics. He said, I could save all that money. Didn't do, do, need to do any study. He said, they just one thing that makes people alcoholics, that's alcohol. <laughs> just keep the drink away from them and they won't become alcoholics. Isn't it amazing how strange we are? And people sin because they're sinners. Turn to Romans 3. Familiar scripture. But here is uh, God's evaluation of man. It's not a very pleasant one his critique of, of, uh, of you and I and of the world in which we live. We're talking about the world of people. What does God say about us? Well, in Romans 3, verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. We have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they're all under sin. Chapter 1 concludes the Gentile is condemned. Chapter 2 of the Jew, and now he summarizes it here. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. 
They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. I'll tell you, that doesn't speak well of humanity, does it? And yet it's a true evaluation. Then he begins to define it in detail. Their throat is an open sepulcher with a decaying body. You know, they say your mouth is the nastiest part of your body. And I don't know, but uh, maybe so. The Lord has some strong language about the tongue and about the mouth. And so he begins to examine. The doctor Jesus is examining man here. He said, I looked in their mouth there in their throat, and it looked like an open sepulcher, open grave. With their tongues they have used to seat. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Then he looks at the feet. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things, soever the law saith, it said to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped in all the world, may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now here is a, a, a biography or a summary here of, of humanity. And man is, uh, the conclusion is that man is a sinner. And, and he's going to sin. That's the problem. And of course, the government don't realize that. Many years ago, they said the problem with man's his environment. He lives in the slums. That's his problem. You take man out of that environment, give him a nice house to live in, and, uh, and with the conveniences of life, and he'll not be a criminal anymore. Well, boy, that's really proved out. So they built all this public housing, spent millions, billions of dollars, I guess, on it. And it's nothing, most of them are just uh, uh, hot houses for drugs and every other sin that you can imagine. You see, the problem with man's not his environment, the problem is his heart. Amen. Man's got a wicked, sinful, dirty heart. Amen. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Until he gets a heart change, I don't care what kind of environment you put him in, he's going to sin. That's all sinners can do, sin. And that's the problem. Why do people sin? Because they're sinners. And that's what sinners do. Why do dogs bark? Because they're, do they're dogs. And I've got plenty in my neighborhood. And uh, uh, they bark. That's their nature. They bark at anything and everything. They bark because they didn't anything to bark at. I don't know. And... Uh, uh, but uh, dogs bark because they're dogs. That's their nature. And sinners sin because they're sinners. And we should not be alarmed by it. We should not uh, be upset by it. There's been wars and rumors of wars, and Jesus said they'd be to the end, a nation against nation, country against country, and all these things. And it's, gonna, it's been all along since Adam, and it's going to continue the United Nations that was supposed to put an end to all war. Of course, First World War, First World war they said it was the war to end all wars. Well, the Second World War came along. The fact there was a second disproved that. 
and then the Korean War and the Vietnam War and uh, they said, what was it, 20 years since that war ended in shame and disgrace and, and uh, uh, but uh, we've seen that. The United Nations, they said, this will stop all the wars. And yet I'm told that there hasn't been a day, a 24-hour day since its formation, there hadn't been war somewhere in the world because they're not the instrument to bring about peace in the world. And they fail to take into account one thing, people are sinners and they're going to sin because they're sinners. I don't care who they are. And if they're your relatives or my relatives or who else, unless they, unless they have Jesus in their heart, they're going to sin. And even if we have Jesus in our heart, we sin, don't we, sometimes? And more than we should. Now in Luke chapter 13, he tells us there, in Luke chapter 13 and verse uh, uh, 1 through 4, he said there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Are those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell? And slew them. Thank you that they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Now here again, the Lord gives two examples. And he said, you think they were worse sinners than you are? No! You need repentance it's as bad as they do. Just like this fellow that blew up uh, the federal building there. And... Uh, uh, the lawyers that were court appointed to represent him tried to get out of it. They said, we don't, uh, we don't even want to represent him. He's such a sorry rise. You know what? You have to be pretty bad when you can't even find a lawyer that wants to defend you. Because right. they'll defend the scum of the earth. It don't matter how, you know, how low and how sorry and good for nothing you are, you can find lawyers somewhere as, as about as bad as you are. And, and they'll defend you. But uh, you think of that fellow that did that. Evidently, he's accused. I, I suppose he did it. I'm not uh, passing judgment immediately on him, but from what they say, he's guilty. And people look at that and they say, what an awful sinner. How he needs repentance. Jesus said, the rest of the world needs it just as bad as he does. Now, people don't want to hear that. You know, people want to hear how good they are. You know, they don't want to hear how, sin, how, how bad of sinners they are. And that's the reason they crucified the Lord, because he told them the truth. And so, people sin because they're sinners. And then, uh, why, why aren't sinners saved? Uh, well, they love their sin. That's the main thing. People don't get saved because they, they love their sin. And they're blinded by Satan Second Corinthians 4 said, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Just like I preached on the hell this morning. Now you tell me how a reasonable person can sit and hear a message on hell and believe what you preach and go away unsaved. I don't understand that. 
And uh, even the Lord himself, when Saul there on the road to Damascus in Acts 9 verse 4, he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Even Jesus said to Saul, Saul, why are you doing what you're doing? Even the Lord asked the question. And uh, one thing that's been hard for me to understand as a preacher is, is why people don't get saved. There's a young man here this morning need to get saved. I, I witnessed to him Thursday night. I thought he was going to get saved Thursday night, but he didn't. And I thought he'd get saved this morning, but he didn't. And uh, that, that amazes me. That puzzles me. And yet the, the Bible teaches that the, the majority of people will be lost. The, the, you know, regardless of how much you preach and how much you pray and how much you're concerned, the majority of people will not be saved because the Bible said broad is the way and wide is the gate that lead to the destruction and many there be which go in thereat. And uh, uh, so we see it. Why do people sin and stay in sin? Because they're sinners. Then not only that, uh, we like to deal with this matter of sickness. And this is a controversial thought, but why do people get sick? Why do we live in a world of sickness? Why are we always praying for the sick? And uh, God only knows what, what any of us may be carrying around in our body tonight. What kind of disease that we may not even know about. The amazing things and the shocking things of my life is people that can be so healthy and look so healthy and feel so good, and in a short time they can be nearing death and have a terrible disease that will take and destroy their life. And the question is, and I've been asked many times, why am I sick? I mean, I'm, I'm saved and I try to live for God. I try to do right. Why is this happening to me? Why do I have to be sick? Well, there's some reasons I like to point out. The first reason, it may be the devil. Now, there's an example of that in the book of Job, I guess, is, is one of the clearest examples. Job had done nothing wrong to deserve uh, that that came upon him. You know, there was a meeting, and the devil came, and, and uh, the Lord said, As thou considered my servant Job, there's none like him in all the earth. Think of that. A perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and cheweth evil. Uh, wouldn't it be wonderful to have that said about you? And uh, people say, well, you can't have anything and, and live for God. Well, it's, it, you know, it's not easy many times, but there's a man that was rich. And nobody in the world loved God as much as he did. According to the Lord's own testimony, there's none like him in all the earth. And uh, while the devil said that Job feared God for naught, the only reason he surged is because you've made him rich. If he wasn't rich, he'd be just like everybody else. And the Lord said, okay, you can't touch his life but, or his health, but you can, you can do whatever else and in one day. And I've seen tragedy in my life, and I've seen people go through, through, through trouble, and it seemed like one trouble right after another sometimes, and I wondered, uh, you know, how they made it. And yet I've never seen any tragedy like Job went through. He lost everything he had. He lost all of his wealth and lost all of his children, ten children in one day. He lost it all. 
And he said, Naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord hath given, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to meeting Job. I'd like to find out what he is made of. You say, what would you do? I don't know what I'd do. And you don't either. Do you face it? People say, oh, I'd do this and I'd do that. Nobody knows until they walk in another person's shoes. You don't know what you'd do. And, uh, uh, well, there was another meeting. And uh, the Lord said, what about Job? <laughs> Devil. I'm putting it in my words now, not the scripture. But uh, he said, oh, yeah, but he's got his health. He's not sick. He, he's lost everything, but he's still got his health. And if you took that away, he'd curse you. And the Lord said, okay, we'll see. And the devil came down. You say, the devil don't have that kind of power, don't he? Who brought that upon? Who took all that away from Job? Who brought that sickness upon him? He was afflicted from the top of his, uh, sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he went out and sat down in a pile of ashes and got a piece of an old broke pot and began to scrape himself. And his wife came to him. Someone said, why didn't the devil kill his wife? Well, he needed her to torture Job. And uh, uh, his wife came and said, does I still retain that integrity? Curse God and die. He said, you speak as one of the foolish women. You talk like uh, someone isn't even saved. Shall we receive good at the hand of God and not evil? He's talking about his life. Job later says, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He said, is life all good? No, there's some evil, there's some trouble. And all this, Job sinned not to charge God foolishness. Then his three friends came. With friends like that, you don't need any enemies. And they sat and looked at him for seven days and spoke not a word. And then they tore loose on him and said, you know, you're nothing but a hypocrite. You've been de deceiving us. And if, if you'd been living right, this would never have happened. And on and on they went. And, of course, the history, you know, the end there. That, in fact, in chapter 3, old Job began to ask the question, the Lord. He said, why, Lord, why did you even let me be born? Now, I'll tell you, he got down in the dumps. <laughs> he got down there. Why? Why was I even born? Why didn't I die when I was born? If this is the way it is going to end up. Have you ever done that? You get enough troubled, you may do the same thing. You may say, I don't even wonder, I don't, I don't understand why God even let me be born. If a life is going to be full of sorrow and if I was going to have to be sick all my life. If I was going to have to have all these troubles in life. And uh, well, the devil uh, was let loose on him. And Job was sick uh, to prove really his allegiance to God. And God blessed the latter end of Job more than the first. And he had twice as much as he had in the beginning. Some would say, well, he didn't have twice as many children. Why, well, he sure did. He had 10 that were saved and they went to heaven and 10 more, that's twice as many kids. And God blessed the, the end twice as much. So sickness can be brought on by the devil. In Luke chapter 13, verse 10 through 17, you have the woman there was bound by Satan. The Bible says 18 years by Jesus' own testimony. 
And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul talks about the messenger of Satan to buffet him. When he had this experience and went to the third heaven into paradise, and God sent him back, and lest he should be exalted above measure, he said there was given a messenger of Satan to buffet, and to buffet means to ball up your fist and hit. I mean, uh, it wasn't a minor affliction. I'll tell you, Paul uh, was suffering. And he besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from him. And the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I'm not going to take it away, but I'm going to give you all the grace you need to bear it. And the idea that, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, God don't want you to be sick. And, you know, if you're sick, there's something wrong with you. And, and uh, uh, all these false promises that are made and uh, the, how gullible people are. You know, I never cease to be amazed at how gullible people are. I think if I, if I went down, down the streets and got me a tin tub and a, and, a, and a rubber hammer and started beating on the tin tub and say, stick your head in the tub and you'll go to heaven, there'd be people silly enough come stick their head in the tub. Uh, you know, these, these TV personalities that come on and make all these false promises and uh, the thousands and thousands of people that, that support them, uh, that, I never, that never ceases to amaze me at how ignorant people are and how gullible they really are. Sickness can be uh, from Satan. Then sickness can be because of sin. We had the Lord's Supper this morning. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30 through 32, those that were abusing the Lord's Supper there in the church at Corinth, some were, were getting drunk and, and all this sort of thing. And Paul writes and said, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That means that we're dead. For we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged, but when we're judged, we're chastened of the Lord. We should not be condemned with the world. And the Lord was judging that church because... Of, of their disobedience and, and the fact that they were not observing the Lord's Supper in a proper manner and some were getting sick and some were dying as a result. So sickness can be related uh, to sin, to God's chastisement. I believe that. Uh, God may use sickness as chastisement to bring us uh, to repent. In fact, uh, I visited people that were sick. And they'd tell me, they'd say, Preacher, I know why I'm sick. It's God's chastisement on my life. This is why I'm sick. Uh, and uh, if a person's saved, you know, there's a lot of people claiming to be saved isn't saved. If you're saved according to the Bible, if I'm saved according to the Bible, I can sin, I can do wrong, but if I do, and I don't judge it, as the Bible said, we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged, but when we're judged, we are chastened of the Lord. We should not be condemned with the world. If I don't judge it, the Bible teaches God will judge it. It's just like when I was growing up, you know, my dad would tell me to do so-and-so, and he'd say, now, if you don't do it, I'm going to whip you. I'm going to whoop you, you know. I mean, that was a step above a whipping. And if I, if I judged that thing and did what I was supposed to do, then I could avoid the chastisement. But if I didn't do it, then I paid the price. And that's the way, that's the way God is. And by the way, that's, that's, that's a good way to be a parent. 
I mean, if you tell, if you tell your child, you do this, you're going to get a whipping. If they do it, whip them. Don't lie to them. Well, I'm telling you for the 15th time, listen, they can count. They know when you get red in the face and mad enough, they, they better straighten up. They, listen, kids are smart. I mean, lay out the guidelines and, and don't jerk them up and beat them to death for everything. But if you make a promise, keep it. I mean, this is, this is the rule. If you transgress the rule, this is the penalty. Keep your word. God's like that. The Bible said if we judge yourself, we won't be judged. But he said if we don't do it, he'll judge it. Now you might, you expect it. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. God's going to do it. That's why I say there's a whole lot of people saying they're saved, isn't saved. Because God deals with his own. I believe that. He deals with his own. And so, it may be because of sin. And then it may just be for the sake of the gospel. Why don't you turn to John 9. John chapter 9. And we have the healing of the blind man there. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, said, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Isn't that a silly question? He's born blind. Who sinned? <laughs> I mean, born blind. How could he sin before he's born? I mean, uh, uh, are, are, you, are you born blind and then you sin later? And the fact you're going to sin later caused you to be blind to start with. And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. That don't mean they were perfect without sin. But they had the sin had not brought on the blindness. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Sometimes God uses means. Jesus didn't have to put the clay on his eyes. He didn't have to send him to the pool of Siloam. He could open his eyes immediately. But sometimes God uses means to produce healing. And the point I'm making here tonight is that sickness can be for the glory of God, just like Fanny Crosby, uh, you know, was, was blind uh, uh, there a short time after birth. And uh, uh, was, was, that, was that wrong? Was that sin, some sin she had committed or someone else committed or, or whatever? Well, I, I think it was just for the sake of the gospel. I think it was for the glory of God as she testified with her own mouth uh, that she would never probably have uh, been and produced all those songs has been such a blessing to the people of God all these, all these years since. No doubt she could never have done that if she'd have kept her sight. And sometimes, uh, you know, uh, we become better servants of God through affliction. And we may not always understand it, uh, why things happen uh, the way they happen. You know, one thing I've learned about every really great man of, man of God that's accomplished a great deal for the Lord, 
They've always had tragedy in their life. And you can go down the list and name, and name some, some great preachers that have uh, built great churches and won many hundreds to Christ or thousands to Christ. And almost without exception, they've had to pay the price physically or they've had tragedy in their family and maybe a child that's, that's, that's died and uh, had to go through tragedy. Uh, you know, I could go with Harold Sattler and Lee Robertson, Jack Hudson, and uh, uh, others that, that we could mention uh, that, uh, that have suffered in their life, maybe with the loss of a child or whatever. And so, uh, for the sake of the gospel, in uh, uh, verse 34 of this chapter, they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Of course, they began to say uh, before that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, why this man is a sinner. And the blind man said, I don't know where he's a sinner or not. One thing I know, I used to be blind, now I can see. <laughs> and one thing I know, I know that for sure. I know, I know who he was. And of course, later he comes to the Lord and the Lord saves him there. But uh, uh, notice their attitude. Why, you were born in sins. That's, you're, you were blind at birth. That proves you were born into sin. Well, all of us are born in sinners as far as that goes. But it may be the sake of the gospel. And then we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the reference I use there about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, verse, uh, uh, verse 8, uh, This thing I besought the Lord thrice, it might depart from me, saying to me, My grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now I'll tell you, that's grace. As Adriel sung this morning, when you're looking at me, you're looking at God's grace. Now I'm going to tell you, when you can rejoice in trouble, when you can rejoice in sickness and you can rejoice in these troubles and afflictions and reproaches and necessities and persecution distresses, you take pleasure in it. <laughs> you can only do that if God gives you grace because the normal things complain. When I get problems, I say, Lord, get this out of me. Get this out of my life. I don't like it. I don't like this affliction. And uh, so, uh, but... Uh, uh, God may not see fit to take it away, but God will give the grace. And then I like to mention sorrow. Sorrow, our death. Why do people die? And all of us, everyone here tonight has been touched. And I was, I was thinking this morning, as I looked around, I thought of the number of widows that we have in our church and people that went through the valley uh, of the shadow of death and those that said goodbye to uh, a loved one. And, and, uh, but every family here tonight is, you know, you've got somebody laid out there, somebody dear to you and someone precious to you. And you may have went through that time and you may have said why. You say, I never, I never asked why. Well, don't feel guilty about it. My mother was sick, dying in uh, Winston-Salem Hospital with cancer. I'll tell you, I, I'd preached and had funerals for others and, Thought I understood, but I had to get alone by myself and tears and on my knees and said, God, I don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening. Sixty-year-old. Uh, Lord, I don't understand why. 
Was I wrong to question the Lord? I don't think so. I was not, I was not uh, going to God, and I think it is wrong when you go to God and accuse God of doing something wrong. God can't do something. He can't do wrong. He's God. But to go to the Lord with a real desire to know and say, Lord, I don't understand. Tell me why. And God may see fit to tell you why, and God may not see fit to explain it to you to get home the glory. And you accept God's will and God's way and trust God to do right because he can't do wrong. But I don't think there's anything wrong with asking the question of why am I sick? Why is this happening in my life? In fact, if we don't ask why, it may, again, if it's related to sin, how are we going to know that there's sin there if we don't ask the Lord about it? Of course, God deals with us, I know, in conviction. But sometimes we may hide things away and we may put it in the back of our mind and, and try not to deal with it and try not to realize it. But death can be a result of sin. The case of David there, of course, his sin with Bathsheba and the child died in 2 Samuel chapter 12, brought about because of his sin. Or the man engaged in fornication, the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, Paul said to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And 1 John 5, 16 said there is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. There's a sin that a believer can commit that will bring the death penalty, physical death I'm speaking of. And so uh, it may it may result. I believe when we sin, God deals with us in conviction. I'm to judge it and confess it and turn from it. If I don't do that, he will chastise me. Sometimes you say, how does God chasten? Well, sometimes preaching is chastening. People think they always got to enjoy the preaching. The Bible said there'll come a time when they won't even endure it, much less enjoy it. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, someone asked, asked a person, said, did you enjoy the preaching? Said, would you enjoy bulldog? Had you by the seat of the pants? <laughs> I didn't enjoy it. And so sometimes preaching is, uh, is chastisement. Sometimes the word of God, you open the Bible, and if you've got sin in your life, it'll deal with you. I know, it'll deal with you. It may be financial reverses. It may be a problem on the job. It may be a problem in the home. It may be sickness or whatever way God chooses to deal with us. You say, well, that, I'm not going to get right. And then the Bible says there's a sin unto death. There's a premature grave for those that rebel against chastisement and resist unto death. And uh, that can happen. And then sorrow comes just because sickness comes because we live in a world of sin. All sickness, all death is, resulted, is a result directly or indirectly to sin. If there was no sin, there'd be no sickness. If there was no sin, there'd be no dying because the Bible said the wages of sin is death. In Romans 5, 12, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for the law of sin. I don't care how much you love God, how close to God you live, unless Jesus comes first, you're going to die. Everybody's going to die, except those that are alive at the rapture. Enoch and Elijah got out of here without dying, but nobody since then has got out of here without dying. Everybody else has died. It don't make any difference who a person is 
and uh, you know we have a all this health consciousness and uh, I'm not against that you know I think we ought to try to take care of our body and eat as healthy and exercise and try to be as healthy as we can live as long as we can for the glory of God but some people they get wrapped up in that stuff and uh, and uh, it's become a religion to them you know uh, some of these uh, uh, health food stores and all uh, you know, it's, it's, it's evolved in the New Age thing, and, and it's become a religion. And there's a danger in that. If you're not careful, you get caught up in some of that stuff. But, uh, uh, you know, they, they're going to die too. Everybody dies. It's because of sin. Say, well, we're dying because of pollution. Well, that's not happening, I don't guess. But before we had all this pollution, people's dying anyway. We may die a little earlier than we ought to die. And uh, so we die because we live in a world of sin. And uh, those that, uh, you know, heal for a living, uh, Catherine Kuhlman was it? She died out near, Oral, what I understand is she was out near Oral Roberts. I don't know why he let her die. But people die because of sin. And I met a preacher one time. He said he hadn't sinned 20-some years. And I questioned that. <laughs> then he changed his mind and said, Well, I haven't willfully sinned. I didn't believe that either. Amen. He may be dead now. He was, he was a good bit older than I was then. He, he may be dead, but he may still be living. If he's still living... Some, one of these days, unless Jesus comes first, he's going to die. And he'll find out he is a sinner after all. <laughs> and no one has to tell me I'm a sinner. I have to live with myself and I have to look at myself every morning when I shave. And I can tell the difference between when I was in high school and now. I can see the, the effects of sin and death. The fact of the matter is, folks, it doesn't matter if we're going to die. We already died. I know that's not a pleasant thought. One fellow said he didn't want to come to church here. I talk too much about dying. Well, you know what the problem? Reality. People want to live in a fantasy world. The reality is that we're not here to stay. And we better keep that in mind when, as we're living. Every one of us has dying, been dying since we got here. And it's because of sin. Sin. But thank God there's a remedy. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. For since by man came death, but man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Thank God for the promise. That's, that's, that we, we don't have to close on a negative note tonight. There's the resurrection of the dead. And if old death gets us before, we, before the Lord comes for us, uh, don't you worry about it. He'll get you up. Get the body up. <laughs> the real you ain't going to die anyway. But uh, that's what Jesus said. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Right. Now either that's true or he lied. Whichever, I don't believe he lied. I believe it's true. And so the old body dies though, but God's going to get the body up one of these days. And so we have hope in Him. 
uh, the cost. And so we may not understand, and we may ask the Lord, and don't be, you know, don't, don't be hesitant. Don't think God's going to be offended if when trouble and tragedy and sorrow and sickness, and it'll come sooner or later, comes to your life, and you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I don't understand why this is happening to me. I'd sure like to know if it pleased you to tell me. And God may tell you, as I said, and God may not tell you. But don't think the Lord's going to be offended at that. He's not. And I think it's a natural curiosity in man. You take these, these little kids in, in, in school, in kindergarten. How many times they ask why? Tell them they have to do something. Why? And they're always asking why. Why, why? Sometimes I just tell them because I said so. That's not a very good answer. <laughs> you ought to try to explain why do you have a rule and why, why they're supposed to do so and so. Because that's natural. That's a natural curiosity to know. Do you think God would put that in people and then, then uh, push us away when we as his children go to him and say, Lord, why is this the way it is? I don't think so. I don't know what this message has done for you, but I'll tell you, it helped me a great deal when I first learned it and first understood. And uh, uh, it, uh, it changed my view of how to approach God and how God accepts me when I come to Him. Let's bow our heads, please.